electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Stocks are up right now, but the Dow and the S&P 500 coming off their longest losing streak in a month. The question here is the January rally losing a bit of steam as investors brace for a huge week of earnings ahead. And Netflix surging on blowout subscriber numbers, but revenue growth slows, only about 2%. Has the stock gotten ahead of itself? We're going to debate that and much more with our investment committee today. we got a full house. we got Jason Snipe, Steve Weiss, Michael Farr. And joining me right here on set, the lovely and talented Shannon Sakosha and Jenny Harrington. Ladies, thank you so much for coming in person. But first, let's get a check on the market right now. Stocks are pushing higher, but the major averages are still on pace for their first negative week of the year. We're looking at the Dow up about a quarter of a percent right now. The Nasdaq rallying right now on the back of some of that news from Alphabet. Also, thanks in part to Netflix, the 10-year yield right now at uh, right now at uh, 3.497. That's about 30 basis points lower than it started the year. Something to watch as we continue to talk about these markets. But back to that big question, Shannon, I'm going to start with you first. Is our January rally, is it losing steam or is this just a bit of a hiccup? Because right now, of course, we're seeing all the indices up. I think we're in a situation, Frank, where a lot of investors are looking at this in terms of, great, there's some enthusiasm about the Fed potentially not being as restrictive, um, but that's really being offset by some concerns, uh, particularly from messaging early on in earnings season, about the potential for a slowing economy. And I, I think when we came into this quarter, one of the things we had experienced in the fourth quarter of 2022 was significant downgrades in earnings expectations for, quarter, for quarterly earnings, but also a lot of uncertainty as it relates to calendar year 2023. So in as much as we're always looking at, you know, the potential for one quarterly print to move a stock, I think right now what investors are really looking for is how do some of these recessionary concerns or potential recessionary concerns play into the outlook for some of these companies? Is this uh, rally that we've seen really in, in, in risk on warranted? And is this just an example of the type of trading activity that we're going to experience throughout the year as investors try to price in or out the threat of a recession with the acknowledgement that just because the Fed becomes more accommodative doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have some tougher road ahead? Yeah, I mean, Jenny, absolutely. That, that, I think Shannon laid it out really well. By the way, just a second ago, we showed the banner, the Dow turning negative for the year. Um, what do you think about this January rally? Again, indices up today, but are we seeing the beginning potentially of a, a downward trend going forward? Well, I love that we're calling what was the S&P was up, what, four and a half percent. I love that we're calling that a rally. Yeah. So let's keep a little context anyway. But, but I was joking before the show and I was saying, well, you know, if we had sustained that like up four and a half percent in three weeks, that would have suggested the market would be up 50 or 60 percent this year. I, you know, in the world of no guarantees, I'm pretty, you know, confident guaranteeing it's highly unlikely that we're going to have a plus 30 to 40 percent year. So if we have that in the context um, of thinking about the fade and say, all right, most of us kind of at best are thinking that we eke out a marginally positive return on the year. Some people are thinking of down. What else could we have expected? 
you know, we couldn't have sustained that pace. And so my thought all along has been that hopefully we get to year end with a positive return at the end. And if we start the year off up four and a half percent, it's going to be nothing but a roller coaster between now and then. I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think in those kind of markets, there's tremendous opportunity. You haven't missed your buying opportunities. You might get more opportunities to sell things along the way. So yeah, to me, I'm like, this is, I don't even know it's a fade or, you know, or anything. It's just the course the market's going to take. So Jason Snipe, what do you think? A little volatility might be a good thing. Are you looking for possible opportunities and potential volatility going forward? Yeah, so I mean, if I look at obviously last year, you know, the Nasdaq was down 34%, you know, the, the S&P down close to 20. You know, if I think at the beginning of this year, I think this is really a story of just repositioning, um, you know, some, some, some uh, energy towards this kind of narrative of a softest landing. And I think, I think that played a role into, into the markets growing as quickly as they have. But, you know, if we're looking at a Nasdaq up around 5%, we're only 20 days into the year. I mean, this, it's, it's run a lot. And I could see some exhaustion here, and that's why we're seeing some, some slowdown. Also, you know, if, as, I, as it relates to kind of earnings, earnings have been somewhat sluggish. We've had a lower bar, you know, so the beat rates haven't been as high as anticipated. So I think that's part of, part of the narrative playing out, you know, in, in what we're seeing in the markets today. And then as if I look at it today, you know, just, this is just financial reengineering, hearing notes. Uh, from Microsoft with some cuts, obviously job cuts, Google with some cuts, and I think that's also playing. And then Netflix, as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, with, some, with some really nice earnings last night. So I think that's also playing a role into some of the bump we're seeing today. Yeah, we got some interesting notes coming out today, Steve. I, I want to read you a bit of a note that came out today from Barclays. Um, it says, in part, U.S. data is weakening and it is not good news for equities anymore, even as bonds are rallying. Classic recession playbook. I'm just teeing you up, Wise. I know. I know you want to bring your unique yeah. brand of insight into the markets right now. Well, first of all, I'm going to bring my unique brand of insight into Jason and I, who are also lovely and talented. I understand the admission of Michael Farr, but <laughs> don't understand the admission of, of Jason and I. Look, the, um, look here, here's what I'd say. I, I, I really think it's, uh, it, it, it's not an appropriate conversation. Is the market you know, rally going to continue? You know, Jenny's right, four and a half percent. That's basically what we've seen the volatility in the markets. You know, that's a couple of days worth of trading. Um, the narrative has been negative. So you can parse, as we talked yesterday, positive data points here and there, but the overall narrative is negative. And guess what? It's just the beginning of it. So the Fed's not done. The most important thing in the market and what to focus on is inflation. And you can claim this pyrrhic victory that inflation is moderating, that's down a little bit. But as Larry Summers said, and I'll paraphrase, it's the most insidious thing that could happen to any economy because the events are very long lasting. And we've seen before in Latin America, other countries, fortunately not here, that, in, that inflation becomes just a killer to any economy. And then take a look at Google. So Google Alphabet's up today. You know, and that's, it's being applauded that 12,000 people were cut. Now, think about that. You've got a company that culturally really hasn't cut people before. All it's done is add staff, add staff. Do you know how long, sitting in board meetings, do you know how long we spend talking about the cultural impact of that? About maybe if it's a temporary impact, the slowdown? No, what Google's telling you is that their stock should be lower because cutting 12,000 people 
does a lot to the culture short term, does a lot to the morale, and I would say is counterproductive to a company growing. So I think that that's another warning sign that we that's upside down in terms of how the market's reacting. Things are getting a lot worse, and they're the tip of the spear with the advertising, which which is a leading tell for economies. So bottom line is, I'm negative. I'm staying negative. I'll try to take advantage of trading rallies, but we're in a sustainable decline in the economy and earnings, which makes the market overvalued even today. So by the way, Steve, you don't have to paraphrase anything. We got, we got it right here. Elliot Smith with a great story on CNBC.com. Larry Summers, Ed Davos, by the way, saying the greatest tragedy would be if central banks don't finish the job on inflation. Michael, I want to come over to you. But before I go to you, uh, Marco Kalanovic out with a note today, pretty short and sweet. I'm just going to read it to you. He says, we think that recession is currently not priced into equity markets. What's your take on that? Uh, Steve Weiss is one of many people who believes the Fed is the biggest player when it comes to the markets. This is the last day we're going to hear from the Fed before their quiet period. Do you think that equities have more downside? I think one of the greatest risks for any market is complacency, particularly among investors. And we've been trying to talk ourselves out of a recession here, and we've been trying to talk ourselves into a Fed pause. And, you know, the great hallelujah chorus starts when we say Fed pivot, and they actually start to ease again, except we're the only ones saying it. The Fed isn't saying it at all. And I was privileged to give a speech that I've done every year at the University of Delaware this week with Fed President Pat Harker. And I've gotten to know Pat over the years. We had a lot of private conversations. I said, what aren't we getting from the Fed? He goes, I, I don't know why you're not listening. We're going to have more hikes. He says he thinks we're going to have three more hikes. Then they go sideways and we're going to leave it alone for a while because they don't want to make the Steve Weiss, Larry Summers error. So, uh, yeah, we're probably a little optimistic. The other side is I think we're a little too pessimistic that this is going to last forever. A year from now, I think it's very likely, okay, maybe 18 months, that you're going to see the Fed over and done with, whatever recession we may have, over and done with, and you're going to begin to see those green shoots of economic expansion emerge. But there's no getting around going through this process when the Fed is this resolved and investors just aren't listening. All right, Michael Farr, speaking of Delaware, by the way, I hung out with your crew down in Rehoboth Beach. You're Mr. Rehoboth Beach. They, they told me to give you a shout out on TV. I did it. All you right. got to come down to Rehoboth Beach. Come on, Frank. Come visit. It's awesome. It, it is pretty nice. All right. Well, Weiss mentioned Alphabet's job cuts on a more serious note. Webbush's Dan Ives out with a new note saying the headcount cuts in tech are the first major step towards stabilizing these stocks and setting the stage for a tech rebound. We have really broad tech ownership here on the desk, Shannon. Again, I'm going to start with you again. Um, obviously, we're kind of in a place where, in this case, this particular case, bad news is good news. People get laid off. Investors seem very encouraged about the cut to cost going forward. Um, a big ramp up in hiring during the pandemic. What's your take on this? Well, if you think about what the hiring has been focused on, I mean, if we look at the, the innovation that Google and Microsoft and many of these large cap tech companies have been able to engineer, um, much of it has been on projects that eventually are actually not profitable or successful. And so as an investor, when you're in a, you know, zero, uh, when money is free, when capital is free, you really don't worry too much about capital allocation. And I think there were very few questions for big cap tech companies prior to the pandemic and, and through the pandemic about what they were spending all that cash flow on. And so in my mind, 
a lot of this is, is probably appropriate prioritization. If you're in an environment where capital costs something and you need to think about capital allocation, not just for technology companies, but for other companies, being able to look at the number of projects that you perhaps were willing to lose money on previously, making sure that your headcount and your resources are aligned with the projects that you see being able to grow the company on a go-forward basis. I think this is a right-sizing that makes sense. There's been a ton of hiring for these big cap tech companies. I disagree with Steve. I do think that there will be some morale impact, but I actually think that it won't impact the potential for growth for these companies because it will be on these priority projects that they can see a positive ROI over the next three, four, or five years. Yeah, we're showing some of the layoffs here. And actually, a really good point about some of these projects losing money. In fact, Google Cloud still doesn't make money. It's the growth engine for the company, but still not profitable just yet. Jenny, I'm going to come over to you. Um, are tech stocks just more attractive? Maybe the environment right now with the layoffs and things aren't great, but we're looking at valuations right now. Um, Google's valuation a year ago was 25 times. Now it's about 19 times. Amazon's valuation in August was 98 times. Now it's about 52 times, so on and so on. Valuations have been cut pretty deeply. So they're 100% more attractive. The real question is, are they attractive enough? And that's where we stand. So for as long as we've run our discipline growth strategy, which is 10 years this year, we really haven't owned the FANG stocks, the only one being Facebook, Meta, right? But what are we looking at right now? We're actually doing deep dives into Google, Netflix, Amazon. Google's rising to the top of that list. For us, it's not quite cheap enough yet. And that that's probably not the right word because we're not looking at it as a deep value play. So cheap enough isn't it, but I would say maybe the valuation isn't compelling enough at this point. But as we look through these, you say to yourself, oh my gosh, I might actually be able to buy Apple at 100 one day. You know, I, I might actually be able to buy Google, Amazon. These are stocks that have never been in our purview for 10 years. So yes, they're cheaper. I'm not sure they're cheap enough. And to Michael's point and Steve's point, you know, if there is a lot more negativity in this market this year, you haven't missed your, you haven't missed your entry point. You might get them at, a, at better prices still. Right. You know, you know, Jenny, it might be more negativity from the smart money, people like you, but when you talk about retail Generous. investors, they're, <laughs> they're really excited about these big tech stocks. Um, note from JP Morgan today, their retail radar, um, a lot of buying focus on large tech names, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA at the top of where they're seeing the biggest buys. Tesla, however, continues to be sold. Jason Snipe, do retail investors, are they onto something here because they're jumping into these mega cap tech names? Well, I, w I would say in just in my earlier comments is just revolving around tech and, and also to Shannon's point, I mean, the free the free money era is over. Right. So I think um, it's 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 tough to look at, number one, uh, non-profitable tech. I mean, that that's been thrown out the window. That that's not an area I would look at. But, um, you know, the, the mega cap names and the and the multiples have come in quite a bit. I mean, you have Microsoft now at 24 times. You have Apple at, at 21 times. I mean, we still are at a market multiple. The S&P is at 17 times. So they're still obviously trading at a premium to the market. But to Jenny's point, I think potentially you can still grab these names lower. I think your time horizon will play into the decision here. I think these are great companies they are the beltway to innovation. So I do think there's obviously an opportunity, a better opportunity today than there was at the beginning of last year. So, you know, for, for me, I'm, I'm neutral on tech. I still like more the value-oriented tech, like the Cisco's of the world, the Oracle's of the world. I think that's where uh, there's some opportunity in the near term. Michael Farr, you know my nickname for you, old money. You got that old money you're managing. What do you think? Is now the time <laughs> to get some of that old money back into big tech? Is this the point where you want to jump back in? You know, some of the big tech, yes, okay? The, the um, 
I'm, I'm thinking the Kathy Woods tech, not so much. Right. Uh, and I think people are, are, are heading to that more volatile uh, st speculative tech. Uh, but yes, the old school tech, you know, the, the, the FANG stocks were just way ridiculously expensive. They've come down. They represent a great deal more value. As Jenny was saying, the price to earnings multiple. Google's now 19 times. Uh, I think that the earnings growth there is still, for most of those companies, still in double digits. When you can get earnings growth that's going to be twice the average of the S&P and you're paying a very small premium in terms of a PE multiple for those companies and you're prepared to hold them for the long term, I think you've got to do that. But also, uh, uh, I think as, as Shannon was saying, there is the good news of opportunity still coming. I mean, if we get this pullback, you don't have to be in a rush. And I don't, I, I'm like never in a rush when I'm investing. So being really dogged and disciplined and dispassionate is the best advice I can give folks thinking about getting back in. Wise, I'm gonna come over to you. You actually covered your shorts of the triple Qs today. Walk us through your thoughts here when you shorted it. And obviously, you know, no one knew these layoffs were coming. That's caused a big spike in these mega cap tech stocks. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> So when I'm trading the market, uh, you know, my focus all day long is not watching screens. So I, so I put in stops. Um, we've had a negative tone to the market, so I was short the cues. I, uh, I got stopped out of some because I keep moving my stops. So this is a little bit of trade school yesterday, and I didn't want to, I wanted to keep it as a profitable trade. I took off some more last night immediately on Netflix uh, print because I thought the market would misinterpret it. They actually had slower growth. Uh, sure, subgrowth was higher, but uh, you got to look at what they're spending. Now, I'm not, we'll debate uh, Netflix later. I actually think it's, it's well positioned, not so much stock price. Um, and then I just covered the rest of it uh, this morning because at that point it became a little nuisance position. So that's why I did. I'll be short again, but that's trading versus, you know, my core positions, which, which I keep. Sometimes I'll trade around like Moderna. So that's really all it is. It's just tactical trading. Um, I just want to address something that Shannon said. I don't think we disagree. I mean, I think these companies will come out of this cycle much more uh, effective, efficient, because they are getting rid of these vanity projects. They're even doing it personally. I mean, Larry Page, who was the money behind, not, not, not Google, uh, behind Kitty Hawk, uh, he pulled the funding from it. So you've got that awareness. But the question is when? And in terms of the companies being, the stocks being cheaper at this point, you only look at one part of the equation. You're just looking at a price. And just because price is lower doesn't mean they're cheaper. Very often, when price comes down, you know, it's because the fundamentals have declined, so they may in fact more expensive at a, at a lower price. And when you see what the growth is for Alphabet over the next year versus this year, I'm not so sure it's so cheap. And as, as Jason, the lovely Jason Snipe points out, that you know we've got still got these stocks selling a nice premium to the market, but that that market multiple to me is artificial because that should be a lot lower. It should be closer to 14 times than it is at 17 times. So it's a moving target. I'll agree with with uh, Michael Farr. You will get a better opportunity. And guess what? You have in virtually every stock that you wanted to buy. Everybody couldn't wait to buy you know Tesla at 700, piling into it. Apple at 155. You know, look at where they are now. All right, good point there. 
Uh, Shannon, I want to get one last word in before we move to Netflix. Well, I just want to touch on something you said, Frank, and you asked Jenny. You know, you said retail investors are buying tech and maybe institutional investors are coming along. You said um, smart money. Smart money. Smart money. Yeah. Smart money. Very smart money. <laughs> Super um, smart. I want to make another point that what we what we could see as an additional catalyst. That was a bad <laughs> reference to me, Shannon, by the way. You specifically looked at me. <laughs> is um, buybacks. You know, if you think about capital allocation, uh, you know, there's going to come an opportunity where these valuations have become at such compressed levels that even with the additional tax on buybacks, that was a huge driver for tech stocks coming into 2020. Um, we could see that really catalyze these stocks again. Probably not today, but it's something for investors to keep an eye on over the course of the next year. All right, we're going to keep this tech conversation going. Netflix shares up almost 7% right now, having their best day since November after the company reported better than expected subscriber growth and revenue guidance, slightly above the street's expectations. Shannon and Jason, you both own it. Jason, I'm going to start with you. Um, do you think this stock may have gotten just a bit ahead of itself? It's going a big rally over the last three months, obviously up almost 7% today. Yeah, so obviously the stock has, has grown tremendously since, since over the last three months, and really since the print is up about 30%, it's you know, up 18% in the last uh, couple months. So what I would say about Netflix, I think w- which is interesting, obviously the, the ad-supported tier just, just coming out, just got started in November, and, and we're, we're, we're seeing some of those numbers that were, were positive. The big thing for me on, on Netflix, um, and I think it's played into the stock, you know, over 60% of their revenue is, is generated overseas. And the dollar, the dollar is down about 10%, you know, in the last quarter. And I think that's played well into the stock. I think what they're, what they're also trying to figure out, obviously, is this password sharing piece. You know, let's, let's see how that goes, because that could be a, a, a nice catalyst for the stock if they figure out how to monetize that. But, you know, for me, I, I, I'm neutral now. I mean, it's, it's run a lot over the last three months, and I think you have to be disciplined here and, and potentially look at taking some off the table. Uh, we haven't done that yet, but, but that's really what we're looking at at this stage. You know, let's show that revenue growth chart one more time. I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, it shows a pretty dramatic decline. And I'm going to turn over to you while we're looking at it, Shannon. Um, you bought a couple months ago. What do you think? You sticking with it or are you going to lock in the gains and get out? So this was September. Um, I, I think that it's important to continue to listen to what, to, similar to what we're listening to for the Fed, we have to listen to Netflix management. Netflix management wants us to focus on revenue per user. They do not want to focus on um, the number of users in aggregate. And I think that's an important differentiation because it goes to profitability. So you're seeing this slowing revenue growth. You should be looking for an inflection point where they're able to deliver that higher revenue per user. Um, and by expanding the base during this period, particularly an ad-supported tier, that's, I think, where they're going to get that. So, yes, perhaps looking at potentially taking a little bit off the table, but I think this is a longer term uh, play. So, Weiss, I know you're a big Bridgerton fan. What do you think about the stock? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Bridgerton, yes. I, I, definitely. I thought it was Wednesday. Look, I, I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's both. Yeah, uh, I think it's ahead of itself. I don't think it's cheap enough. Um, I think they are the winner in the streaming wars, but, but so what? Streaming wars, I mean, they're ugly and not sure anybody at the end of the day wins. Uh, and I think you have to buy the stock on the dips. You can't buy it on the upward moves in it. If you buy it on the dips, you can make a lot of money. I mean, it's like Lulu. It's why I bought it. So still expensive, but that's when you make the money, not buying it here. All right, we got to get moving. But uh, far, I just want to throw in, you say right now you should buy Disney because Netflix's growth is actually good for Disney+. Plus. All right, coming up next, an upgrade for big biotech, calling for several positive catalysts ahead for a company this year. Jenny owns it. We'll debate the trade and the entire sector. That's next in our call of the day. Halftime, back in two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to Halftime. J.P. Morgan upgrading Regeneron, saying its iDrug launch could help boost shares up nearly 20%. Shares are flat right now, though, but it's still our call of the day. And Jenny, you own it. We do. My only beef with this upgrade is that it's too late. Right? They should have upgraded it earlier. Um, we initially added Regeneron back in 2021 at about $460 a share. Fast forward to now, 700 and change. And then you need to ask yourself, you know, do you need to employ discipline and take some off the table or look ahead? What I think is kind of interesting is that the 2023 earnings aren't going to be spectacular. Spectacular. They'll kind of be flat because they have a COVID antibody treatment that rolls off. So versus last year, it's tough. But, and this is the point of the JP Morgan upgrade, then they've got this macular degeneration drug coming online. They've got another one for dermatitis. They've got a really strong cancer pipeline. And all of those are going to pile up and really drive earnings to very high levels in 2024. So I think you can own it now, but to the point of the upgrade and the share price being flat, it might kind of do nothing for a while because the earnings just aren't great. And I, you know, people are short-sighted out there. So <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Shannon, you had healthcare as your sector pick, and we did the stock summit and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you don't own this stock, but you own a, a number of other ones: AbbVie, Merck, United Health. How do you feel about healthcare in general? And are you bullish on this stock with this particular medicine? So this is a this is a really interesting play, and I think one of the things that we're looking at, you know, if you look over the next couple of years, the overhang for drug stocks in general has really been lifted given what's happening in Washington. And so I think whereas you you know for for us we were looking at um, multi-line um, you know drugs that are focused on things like immunology and oncology, which I think are going to continue to grow in importance. I think you can start to look at widening out your um, exposure to pharma and to biotech. I don't necessarily think you have to necessarily go down into kind of small small cap biotech, which is much more binary in terms of the earnings potential. There's a lot of innovation going on at large pharma companies as well. Um, but we think a broader kind of footprint or basket for healthcare is going to be able to take advantage of some of the, um, the innovative therapies that are available in the market, but also the demographic trends. There's a lot of demographic headwinds um, for a lot of different sectors. This is one that actually has a pretty strong demographic tailwind globally. And so we like having a lot of different types of exposure within the
the sector. Can yeah. I say something on that? Yeah, of course. Okay, you know how I always say I hate sector picks, don't put me, you know, don't make me use a broad brushstroke. I think this might be one of the areas for the general investing public where it is absolutely the safest way to go to use the broad brushstroke because the companies within those indices are so wildly different and some of them are going to hit home runs and some of them are going to flame out that if you want to play it, this really is the smart way to do it. Yeah, to your point, I think a lot of people are going to have a hard time deciphering between a biotech, a, a pharma, I mean, the, the, the differentials there. And Shannon, to your point, about 20 million Americans, according to the mm -hmm. CDC, have macular degeneration. So it is a broad-based drug. It's, it's not a niche drug, as right. a lot of people may think. The terminology is not that familiar. Um, Weiss, I know that was your excuse for doing some things you do, your macular degeneration and your cataracts. Um, I know you also own Moderna. What do you think about this call on Regeneron mm -hmm. and the healthcare sector in general? First of all, I think it's kind of evident to the audience that you and Jenny should stay in your lane, not try to be funny. Leave that to me. Uh, <laughs> secondly, he, I'm biting my tongue know, on the members only jacket. Look, Regeneron. <laughs> this is this is a, this is a high level sweater, Jenny. This is, is actual. Like you may not be familiar right, let's, with let's this, but this is natural fiber. Works. We got to stay on the stocks. Go ahead, yeah. Okay. Look, here's what I'm saying. Regeneron. It's a. I regret not owning it. It's a high-quality company, always has been. It's got great management, visionary management, actually. Uh, however, um, you know, when I looked at it more closely during COVID, Moderna was going to be my play, and that's worked out very nicely. And that's where I'll continue to be because it's a technology company with a much higher hit rate, uh, almost perfect, actually, in terms of what they've gone through in trials. Uh, for bringing drugs to the market. I agree with Jenny, although I, I, I have higher respect for our viewing public that they can discern what's a biotech versus a pharma company. It's pretty evident, and other areas of healthcare. So yes, if you're gonna play biotech, do you know? Do the XBI? Do, you know? Do the BBI? Do do one of the indices uh, because you do need a basket to risk management. But otherwise, I mean, you could buy a Merck. I don't own it. I sold it. It hasn't moved since I sold it. Um, I do think healthcare. I love it because it's recession resistant. So you're going to see more and more dollars go into that as the economy worsens. And I think it'll perform counter cyclical and actually make money this year. Yeah, Wise, well, good call on Moderna. Shares up about 14% over the last year. Uh, Michael Farr, I'm going to come over to you right now. You also have broad based uh, healthcare ownership, not Regeneron, but Abbott Labs, Becton Dickinson, CVS, Johnson & Johnson, list goes on. What's your take on this call on the stock? You know, on, on Regeneron, I. I I like the stock. I like. I wish I'd owned it, and I, I kind of feel the way Jenny does. I think it's probably a little bit late when a stock starts moving like this. But in terms of this sector, I think you've got to own it for, you know, Frank, I really want to disclaim here. It worries the hell out of me when I, when I start agreeing with Weiss. Just, I want to say it, uh, get it out there. Okay, but yeah, look, the, 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 whether it's a pharmaceutical, this healthcare core, these are defession, de, recession defensive stocks. Uh, we know the area, we know how the demographic in this country is moving. We know the prices in healthcare have been rising. So there's pricing power in these names. And I think in terms of balance sheets, they're fabulous, they're diversified. This is a place to hide and I think also benefit as stock prices recover. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy I've got this core in my portfolio. All right, we are watching healthcare today, the XLV fractionally down today. All right, up next is our chart of the day. This sector is headed for its worst week in just about five months. The committee debates what that could be signaling and how they're playing the space. That much more coming up on Halftime. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number 
and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Contessa Brewer. Let's get to the news. Goldman Sachs consumer business is facing a Federal Reserve investigation, according to the Wall Street Journal. The Fed is looking into whether the bank used appropriate monitoring and control systems inside its Marcus brand as that business grew. A spokesperson for Goldman Sachs says the bank does not comment on the accuracy or inaccuracy of matters relating to discussions with the Federal Reserve. Former President Donald Trump voluntarily withdrawing his lawsuit against New York Attorney General Letitia James. The lawsuit originally was filed in November after James filed a $250 million civil suit against Trump and his family. Trump's lawsuit accused the New York AG of intimidation and harassment. T-Mobile says hackers access data from about 37 million customers. It's the second major breach in the past two years. The company says hackers may have obtained names, billing addresses, emails, phone numbers, birth dates, and account numbers, but no passwords, payment card information, or social security numbers were compromised. So, Frank, mixed bag there. <laughs> Certainly. Our Contessa Brewer. Contessa, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to our chart of the day. Industrials, they're down more than 4% this week, and they're on pace for their worst weeks in September, led lower by Emerson, 3M Carrier, and Honeywell. Jason, you own Honeywell. Shares of Honeywell down about 6% year-to-date. What's your take on the sector and specifically that, that pick of Honeywell? Yeah, so, so generally, as, as when I think about industrials, they're, they're usually an early cycle play. And obviously, that's not where we are. We're, we're, we're late cycle. But, you know, I, I like Honeywell. That's my, my highest conviction name, you know, in this space. It's, it's up still around 13% over the last three months. To your point, it's down 6% year to date. I think that's indicative of kind of this shift to, to growth early part of the year. But I do think the value-oriented piece uh, of the economy will continue to grow. So for me, you know, Honeywell, I, I continue to like Honeywell as well, just because their, their exposure to aerospace, I think that you see what the airlines have done. It's got a 2% dividend yield. And, and I, I just think as a tech-enabled company in this space, I still think there's continued runway. So Honeywell is the name that we like here. And, and I think, again, this has just been a shift to growth early on in the year. But I still think Honeywell could do well, uh, you know, for the rest of this year. So, Wes, you're also shorting the XLI. Um, to Contessa's point, kind of a mixed bag in the XLI. Look at a stock like Deer up about 12% over the last year, and then you see Honeywell down about 6% year-to-date. Take us through your thinking. Why short industrials? Yeah, so first of all, when, when um, it, it's calling the economy, uh, right now you're trading about 20 PE on, on the industrials, and to me that's, that's very high. Now, you typically buy these when the multiples are very high, as I've said before, but that's when you have trough earnings, and you know we're near trough earnings. And the XLI, as you point out, is a mixed bag. Actually, Honeywell is the second largest component in the XLI, and Raytheon is the largest. But you've also got Boeing, you've got Caterpillar, you've got Deer, etc. So, you know, if I were Jason, I'd, I'd consider shorting the XLI against uh, his Honeywell position if he wanted to hedge it, if he's unsure. 
Um, but to me, the market is still, you know, the industrials performed well last year, not so much this year, not terrible this year, but last year they did very well. And I don't think it properly takes into account what's going to happen going forward. So this should be at best, you know, a slight discount to the market because they've got the most leverage up and down to the economic cycle. So that's why I'm short it. And it helps me hedge against, you know, my, my long positions as well. All right, Shannon, you have some exposure. And, and I say it's a hedge because that way, th that way, if I lose money on the trade, it's a hedge. If I make money on it, hey, what a great pick. <laughs> Two sides of the coin. I got you. Uh, Shannon, you also have a lot of exposure to industrials. You also own Honeywell. But I want to talk to you about a stock that you own, Rockwell Automation. Um, Automation is a big macro trend, period. Um, shares are up about 4% year to date, but still down 15% over the last year. What's your take? Are these long-term holds? Or right now are you going to put more money in? I mean, kind of take me through because obviously the sector's not doing great so far this year. Yeah, so we added to Rockwell Automation because we do think that one of the, um, the trends over the next several years, um, similar to what Jim talks about a lot on the show, is, is reshoring here in the United States for manufacturing. We don't have the skills. Um, we don't have a skilled work base that can really support that manufacturing reshoring. We just haven't seen the, the training that we need. And so I think there's a lot of facilities, a lot of factories, um, a lot of manufacturing facilities that are going to need to, to add automation to be able to, to keep up with this increased demand. Um, the other thing that I would look at in industrials is let's, let's talk about a couple areas of industrials that are still getting some momentum, defense and aerospace, um, in addition to this manufacturing automation. So uh, I, you know, I'm not surprised that there is some concern from, a, from an economic perspective about the cyclicality of the sector over the last couple of weeks. But, um, but I think if you look longer term, there are some trends that we think that if you're in now, are you going to benefit from that into uh, later this year and into next year? All right. Well, turn our attention to the NASDAQ. Higher today, now performing to start the year. We're going to look ahead to the stock set to report earnings that could really test this NASDAQ rally and how our experts are playing it. Much more halftime after the break. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. The Nasdaq continues to outperform the market, fueled by the performance of Amazon and Alphabet. You can see all three getting a boost today from new Alphabet layoffs. These three stocks make up just about a quarter of the tech-heavy index, making Microsoft earnings, especially its cloud results, a potential market mover. Most analysts have cut their estimates for revenue growth for Azure and AWS. Take a look at this. These are Oppenheimer's estimates with Google's estimates unchanged. But as you can see, there's an expectation of a growth slowdown quarter to quarter across the board. The hyperscaler market is maturing. The consensus is the majority of workloads that are, quote unquote, easy to move. They've already migrated. But the overall story is certainly an upward trend. The big three U.S. hyperscalers, they've actually gained global market share. The big question, will investors see the expected results as stable or stagnant? Michael, let's start with you. You own Microsoft and Alphabet. Uh, and I and uh, Amazon as well. So, uh, yes, uh, these are these are great growth businesses uh, with lots of leverage. And the growth is slowing. And as they are becoming more mature, they are slowing. But I think they're going to still be core for Microsoft in each of them. And you might look at a, a Amazon, for instance, and say, uh, well, with AWS, they were going to have some earlier stage companies as customers and you get in a more difficult economy and that could be a little more pressure. Overall, as a long-term investor, I'm not the trader guy, right? I want to own these things for the next five, six, seven years. I'm very happy with each and every one of them, particularly Microsoft. I mean, I'm waiting for my moment. I've owned it for years, but I would add to it. I, I, I'm waiting for that back up the truck moment. They're adding that chat GPS in a format to Bing. It's just, I mean, it, I think there's just so much really powerful going on in, these, in this space. Uh, I think these, short, these, these downgrades and the negativity are focused on short-term things and I'm a long-term guy. So, Jenny, you also have some exposure in this space. Uh, not Microsoft, but you own IBM. Also reports next week. 
What are your expectations? Um, you know, legacy player uh, exceeded expectations last time. They also have the hybrid cloud. A lot of this talk about workloads not moving to the cloud is a lot of people saying, hey, I want to keep my on-premise on business with my cloud. IBM can certainly enable that. They also have the Red Hat acquisition from a few years ago. Well, I think when you look at the valuation of IBM versus the Googles and, um, and Amazons, you see it trading at 14 times. And so then when they report earnings and they're talking about their cloud business, even if the growth of the cloud businesses are slowing, within IBM's legacy business, right, that's still a huge fast grower for them. And so at some point, that starts to take up more and more share of revenues, and I think ultimately drives IBM's valuation from 14-ish times to maybe 15 or 16. It will still deserve a discounted valuation compared to the bigger peers, but I don't think it's properly accounted for in the share price right now. So it's kind of a nice sneaky backdoor way to play it without overpaying. All right, Jason, you actually own Microsoft, which reports next week, as we talked about. I want to talk to you about Palo Alto, named a top pick by Morgan Stanley. If there is a cloud slowdown, it obviously impacts Palo Alto's business directly. Um, they provide cybersecurity, for the most part, to cloud businesses. Absolutely. And, and you know, Frank, I, I continue to like Palo Alto here. I think cybersecurity is just a theme and an area or space, really, that's, that's not going to be slowing down. Whether we're in a decelerating economy, a growing economy, that issue still is prevalent. Um, but, you know, I look at the last report over the last quarter, you know, 50 percent EPS growth, 25 percent revenue growth. It's an expensive stock trading at 40 times. Um, you know, and, and they were typically a hardware company. They've, they've moved more into the cloud and the cloud uh, continues to grow. And, and as, as it relates to the, the broader spectrum, I mean, cloud grew so much through the pandemic. I mean, we we're talking about 50 percent year over year numbers. I mean, some deceleration, I think, is just just appropriate, you know, in this space. But I, I continue to like Palo Alto. I continue to like software in the cloud. I, I still think there's a beltway and a runway here. All right, Palo Alto shares up 3% today. All right, coming up next, Mike Santoli joins us for his midday word, plus the committee is getting ready to grade your trade. You can email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us using the hashtag GradeMyTrade and half. We'll be right back. All right, welcome to the Halftime. Welcome back to Halftime, I should say. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli joins us a lot now from the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. Mike, always great to see you. Frank, you too. Uh, so we have a soft landing day, right? It seems like you can wake up every day and the market could be in one mode or another. Uh, some relief out there, I think. It's coming certainly from some of the earnings reports. Uh, Netflix uh, encouraging, but I think more than that, uh, the Alphabet layoffs coming along with the other big tech company uh, layoff announcements suggest that profit margins can be defended among those companies. I would also point to Ally Financial today, the big consumer and auto lender, uh, which essentially gave reassuring guidance, loss rates not looking like they're getting out of control. That stock's up big, financial's working. So I think in combination with a bunch of Fed speakers, and we're going to get at least one more today, uh, that are not really pushing back too hard on the idea that we get smaller quarter point uh, rate hikes over the next month, maybe two months. It's just allowing the market to, to get a little bit of relief. I would point out we're still down a percent and a half on the week in the S&P, still in this kind of middle zone between a breakout and, uh, and the recent lows. So uh, it's a hold. And by the way, third strong Friday in a row for 2023. Yeah, you know, to that point, Mike, um, we were just talking earlier today about maybe the market slowing down. And obviously you can't tell that today. Uh, NASDAQ up a percent and a half, S&P almost up a percent. But in your mind, with so many big earnings next week, is this kind of a, uh, a pivot point for the market potentially to take a turn either to the upside or the downside? 
Well, I think it's definitely a moment for investors' attention to, to pivot and shift toward uh, company fundamentals. No more Fed speak, as I said, after today. Uh, yeah, of course, the macro numbers matter. But it is going to be about evaluating whether full-year 2023 forecasts are completely you know, out of the zone of reality or if they look like they're more or less what we can count on. That'll tell us whether stocks have overshot or not, if they're too expensive at these levels uh, with yields even coming uh, you know, in quite a bit recently. By the way, Treasury yields uh, getting some traction here after a big decline. That also could be uh, reassuring, believe it or not, in the short term for equities because that panic buying in long-term Treasuries uh, and further inversion of the yield curve, I think, actually spooked the market, stock market earlier this week. All right, Mike Santoli with the Midday Word. Thanks, Mike. All right, grade my trade. That's coming up next. Send an email to ask at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us halftime. Back after the break. Welcome back. It's time for Grave My Trade. First for Jason. Bruce says, I bought KeyCorp between 16 bucks and 21 bucks for the dividend. Jason, you own the KREETF. What do you say to Bruce? Yeah, so I don't own KeyCorp specifically, but it's got a nice, it's had a nice bounce today. And I don't know exactly what your cost basis is. Obviously, if it's 16, it's, it's, it's done well for you. So I'm, I'm going to give it a B. I prefer the investment banks here. You know, the, the net income was down 30% year over year, but, but they have a nice yield of 4.8%. So I think it could, it could still can trend well. I, I like financials, period, as a sector. So I think, I think this is a hold for me. All right, next, Nicholas in Walnut Creek, California, with a trade for Jenny. He bought 1,600 shares of SL Green Realty at an average cost of 46 bucks a share. Jenny, you own SLG. I do. And so you all know I'm harsh graders, right? So I bought it initially at 63. So I'm going to give myself an F minus, and I'll give you a C. And you know the saying that you don't need to make it up the same way you lost it? I think you actually can make it up the same way you lost it in this one. I think SL Green is, SL Green is really, really undervalued right now. We saw Vornado announced last week, and they had terrible earnings and really slashed the dividend. People equate them, but they're not equivalent. Vornado has a lot of retail. SL Green is Class A, high-end office space. They still have long leases. They still have a 9% dividend yield, and they still have about 94-plus percent occupancy. So I think you're in good shape holding that. All right, Mike in Orlando bought 50 shares of Raytheon at 98 bucks with plans to hold for a year or two. He wants to know if he should be concerned with the recent downgrade from Goldman Sachs. Michael, you own Raytheon. I do own Raytheon, and no, I don't think you should be all that concerned. I thought this was kind of a weird downgrade. You know, they've got that geared turbofan jet engine. That's important from not only the defense space, but also the commercial airspace. And we know about the demand for commercial airplanes uh, going to continue to increase. I think that this is, a, this is going to be a core holding for me for a long term. I think you stick with it. If you bought it for the quick trade, I'm sorry I'm not your guy to help. But I think longer term, you'll be very happy you own it. Defense spending's not going away, folks. All right, that's it. Final trades. That's coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, time now for final trades, starting off with Jason Snipe, who didn't come up here because he's a Giants fan and I'm an Eagles fan, but go, Jason. (laughs) So I like Charles River Labs here. Uh, It's trading at 20 times. There's a lot of demand from biopharma and and just pharma periods. Also got a really nice, strong free cash flow. So I like it here. Stay long. Weiss, good sport today, by the way, Weiss. Go ahead. Thank you very much, Frank. 
Uh, Goldman, look, the stock's down two things. It's down on, uh, on a mixed shelf uh, filing, which no, no guarantee to come to market. It's also down on Mark's investigation, which is completely idiotic. So that's why I've added to the position as tactical trade during the show. When has one event like this determined what the stock's future is? Michael now. Farr. Uh, I know it's chat GPT, Twitter people, but U.S. Treasury, <laughs> I do know. Uh, I said GPS. I'm okay. 483 on the six-month Treasury. Come on. I mean, it's uh, awful safe, and it's state tax-free. All right. Shannon. AbbVie, we talked earlier. They've got oncology. They've got immunology. Um, they pay a strong dividend. This is a great uh, toehold in the healthcare space. Jenny, you got the last word? Starbucks, 20% variable dividend, variable being the key. All right, that's going to do it for us on here on Halftime. The Exchange it begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.